0: What does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love our neighbors? How and why should I care about those around me, even my enemies? In our 10-part series titled Loving as We've Been Loved, we're exploring how God's great love for us is the foundation for both our loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Join us as we study the scriptures and see what this looks like in our everyday lives. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Uh, if you're feeling a little hot and sweaty this morning, you're not alone. Good morning, welcome. Uh, I, once again, my name is Nate. I'm very excited to be speaking this morning. Uh, as Chris mentioned, as the announcements mentioned, we've been spending uh, this year, 2015, going through a theme of fulfilling the Great Commission by obeying the greatest command. And we're going to continue in the, our current series today, which is called Loving as We Have Been Loved. Loving as we have been loved. I'll give you a really quick summary of where we've been so far. In the first week, we talked about the way of love. We talked about the way of love that the Bible teaches uh, through Jesus. And last week, Steve preached about love your neighbor as yourself, focusing on that how do we love ourselves component. So last week was about loving ourselves well. How does God love us? How do we understand how we are loved so that we can love ourselves well? And today we're going to be uh, part three of this series, Love Your Neighbor as Yourself. Today focusing on now that we understand how we are to love ourselves, how do we love our neighbors? And so to begin today's message, we're going to be uh, Love Your Neighbor as Yourself. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 22 and we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. But I want to begin today uh, by showing you guys a commercial. So uh, enjoy this commercial. Oh, at Discover, we're always here to talk. Well, that's good, because I don't have time for machines. Some companies just don't appreciate the power of conversation. Real people. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm calling the land of machines. And with that robot voices. Oh, I don't like those machines. Oh. how, now, how can I help you? Oh. <laughs> I don't even remember. <laughs> at Discover, we treat you like you treat you. Talk to a real person. Get the IT card at discover.com. So, we treat you... Like you'd treat you, isn't that? That's a great uh, goal, right? For a customer service uh, kind of company, right? We're gonna treat you like you'd treat you. How many of you seen some of the other commercials they have on that theme? They're kind of funny, right? Um, I was, I thought about that commercial this week, and I was asking myself, <clears throat> if we as believers had a motto, or a slogan, or a manifesto that we wanted to live by, what would it be? And I thought that that, that's a a good one, we treat you how you treat you. But I think as believers, we're called to something even more than that in the sense, I'll say it like this, we treat you like Jesus would treat you. So today as we talk about loving our neighbors as ourselves, it's not just this thing of, it's not just how do I want to be treated, but it's actually this call of how does Jesus want people to be treated? We treat you how Jesus would treat you. Because, as we said last week, we see how Jesus has treated us. We see how we have been loved. And now we say, wow, this is the standard. This is the way of love that we are now to carry. So I thought that might be a helpful concept for what we're doing in this series. Loving as we have been loved. Okay, so why should we treat others like Jesus would treat them? It's great if Jesus wants to treat them that way, right? Why should I treat somebody like Jesus would treat them? What is our motivation and where do we ground this kind of action? Uh, I believe it has to be grounded in the Scripture or else we won't have any motivation to do so or we won't have the proper motivation to do so. So I want to give you two foundational beliefs that you will find throughout Scripture. Two foundational beliefs that we can ground this kind of love of other people in. We've talked a little bit about this in the series already, but I'm just reinforcing it as we begin. Firstly, imago Dei, the image of God. That's what this means. It's Latin. I'm not trying to be weird, but imago Dei. It means the image of God. This is the belief as taught in Scripture that all people are made in the image of God and that all people are precious and valuable Because of that. So this is a foundational belief that the scripture carries. A second is missio dei. Mission of God. This is the teaching that that God is ascending God. God God seeks after man to, to restore relationship with man. So all people are loved and sought after by God. Both last week and and week one of our series, we talked about Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God was a sending God who sent his son into a situation, into a problem that was not his own, but going to remedy that, going to rescue. And so these two foundational beliefs are so important— as we think about loving our neighbor. Because as I said, if, if we lack these foundational beliefs, we either don't have any motivation to love our neighbor, or we don't have the proper motivation. And you, this might not seem that important, but I, I want to suggest that it is. And I want to illustrate it like this. Um, I want to show you just one example. You can probably think of others of... of a mindset that lacks those foundational beliefs. You can uh, go back to the other slide, thanks. We'll get to that in a second. Um, so I was reading, uh, how many of you guys have ever been on the website called Every Block? Has anybody done that? It's like a hyper-local news website. You can like, subscribe to your neighborhood or your street address, and you'll get posts of like, people who stuff that happens in your neighborhood. It's really a mixed bag. There's all kinds of weird stuff on there. But there's interesting stuff, too. I read it sometimes just to hear about what's going on in my neighborhood. And I, sometimes these, these mindsets come across in the way people talk or, or make comments on there. I want to read for you a, com, a, a post. It's very brief, but something that someone said recently uh, about some of the violence and gang activity that was happening in Humboldt Park just this past week. Uh, this is a quote. <clears throat> Keep up the good work, gang members. Indeed, keep shooting and killing each other. Eventually, you will wipe each other out so the yuppies can buy your homes and make your families leave our neighborhood. This is a statement that is coming from a mindset that does not have these foundational beliefs, that there is value in all people, that people are precious as made in the image of God, and that people are loved by God. And this is is what will happen if we don't have this proper, grounded, foundational beliefs about why should we love other people? Why should we treat them like Jesus would treat them? And so as we talk today about fulfilling the Great Commission by obeying the greatest command, I want you to keep those things in your mind. Retain those things. Let's be grounded on those things. That if all else... We don't, we don't remember anything else. Remember these, this, that people, this is, this is our motivation for loving our neighbors. Are you guys with me? Is that good? Okay, let's read Matthew chapter 22. We're going to go look at that greatest command that we've been talking about. Matthew 22 verse 34 says this, But when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All the law and the prophets that you are so well versed in—he's speaking to these leaders—can be summed up in this way. Isn't that amazing? Love God and love people. And so today as we talk about that that second half, that second component of love your neighbor as yourself, we're going to look at a passage where Jesus talks more about what does this mean? What does this look like? So turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. The passage we're about to read is, is extremely well known. Your Bible probably has a little, little header, heading in this section that says, what does it say, anybody there? The parable of the Good Samaritan the parable of the Good Samaritan. This passage does indeed contain the parable of the Good Samaritan, but I want to suggest a slightly different heading to this passage this morning. See, this parable of the Good Samaritan is within a context, it's within a conversation that is going on between Jesus and another expert in the law, just like the passage we just read. So maybe we can head this passage today as Jesus' conversation with an expert of the Jewish law. Okay, so Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Let's read from there. It says this, And behold, a lawyer, this means an expert of the law, the law of Moses, the, the, uh, yeah, the Jewish system of belief, um, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he, Jesus, said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. They're discussing this very same passage that we just read in Matthew, right? And he, Jesus, said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this And you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? This is the point in the story where we kinda wish that guy had kept his mouth shut and not asked that last question. It's and, and Luke tells us an important detail here. He tells it that this man is desiring to justify himself by asking that question. So he's anticipating some sort of answer that will make him feel good, perhaps, about how he's living, or or that will define neighbor in a way that he can say, that's what I thought. Yeah, I agree, right? Desiring to justify himself, he asks this question. And Jesus responds to this this question with the parable of the Good Samaritan. So let's read on in verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him Half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Verse 33 But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, the man who had been attacked, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend... I will repay you when I come back. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think, speaking to the lawyer, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he, the expert in the law, said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. It's so fascinating when we think about how Jesus responds to this man's question with this famous parable of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus takes this question of who is my neighbor, which is a question about boundaries and, and who, who's within that boundary. You know, who's in that uh, category of, of acceptability, perhaps? He turns that question about boundaries into the question of who proved to be a neighbor to the man. A question about doing the very thing that was prescribed in that law that they said at the beginning. And so, I think the man who asked Jesus this question he was, he was asking, who is my neighbor? Because he had a box. This is my box. It has an N on it. It's not for Nate, although it could be. But this is my neighbor box, all right? So perhaps the man is asking the question, who is my neighbor? Seeking to find some justification for who is inside his box. Who fits inside his neighbor box? Who is he okay with being inside this box? And hoping the answer would, would, would uh, reaffirm some, something of who's already in the box, perhaps. And so I think, I think we can look at this today a little bit, thinking about this box. Who's in our neighbor box? And Jesus brings the man to, to a point of, of discussion and dialogue, and he brings him to a point to where the man, it's not totally answering the man's question, it's bringing him to a different place. And so let's, let's just review very briefly some of the main things that just happened in this parable. Okay, so here's some of the main points we just went through in this parable. Firstly, there's a man who's going down this road, right, from Jerusalem to Jericho, A man is attacked and he's robbed along the road. Something very interesting about this is that Jesus does not identify this man. Think about this. He doesn't say that he was a Jew. He doesn't say that where this guy lived. He doesn't tell us the victim's identity. He leaves him a little undescribed. And historically... If you were going to identify somebody that you saw, beyond their skin tone, most people in, in, in this context would have a very similar skin tone. Jew, Samaritan, Gentile, unless someone was like maybe Ethiopian or whatever. But, but most of the people in, this, in the surrounding area of this story have a similar skin tone. And, and so beyond identifying someone in that way, there are two ways that you would know who somebody was or where they are from. It would be by how they were dressed, what attire they're wearing, what culture that's from, and it would be the dialect with which they spoke. So think about this for a moment. This man who's on the, on the side of the road, he's stripped of his clothes. <clears throat> you, can, you can't tell where he's from by his clothes. And, and he's left for dead and not speaking. How can you know who this guy is? He's, 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 he's unknown. He's undescribed. And I think Jesus is very intentional in leaving this man undescribed. And so this, uh, this person is, is a variable. It's an unknown. I'm going to continue. The second main point is that the priest and the Levite come by, right? These people are Jewish, and they're walking, by, they're walking down this road and they come by this guy and they see they see this mystery character <clears throat> and at times I think we can think of the priest and the Levite as just plain terrible people, right? We like, to, we like to just be like, man, those guys are awful, right? that's what we think of them sometimes were these terrible, unloving people? I don't think so I don't think they hated everyone and were just not wanting to help anyone. I think that the priests and the Levite were wrestling with a question when they saw the mystery man. I think they were wrestling a question the question of, is this person my neighbor? Is this person a Jew? I don't know. Is this person a Samaritan? I don't know. Is this person a Gentile? I don't know. And perhaps they're asking this question of the box. Does this person fit inside my neighbor box? And I think this is the question that they're wrestling with. And they don't know. They don't know where this man is from. There's some very interesting uh, history about these kinds of things. So think about this for a moment. If a Jewish person, particularly a Jewish leader, is trying to live by the law of Moses, there are certain laws where if you touch an unclean person or a dead body, then now you are unclean. And so touching this mystery person is now a risk. If this person is a Gentile and this person is dead, this Jewish leader has now become unclean. He now cannot receive the tithes and offerings of food that are brought to the temple for the sustenance of the Levitical order. It would be a risk to him and to his family to be found to be unclean. There's a risk going on here. And so they see this man, and I don't think it's just this immediate cold shoulder of like, man, we don't want to help anybody. But it's it's the question, as Martin Luther King says of this passage— They were asking the question of, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? What will happen to me? And so the priest and the Levite, they had a a constrained definition of neighbor. And they didn't know if this man fit inside their neighbor box. And then the third main point of this parable is that a Samaritan... Becomes the unlikely hero. A Samaritan becomes the unlikely hero. The the Jews and the Samaritans despised each other. A very brief history is that the Samaritan people were a mixed race from the time when the Jewish people were in exile. And so now they've been relegated to this, this area in Israel and to a status that was second class. They weren't fully Jews and they weren't fully Gentiles. And they're kind of in this middle place. And so the Jews despise the Samaritans because they were not full Jews. And so we have to understand this element of the story. There's, there's, uh, they don't like each other in both directions. Let's just say that. So a Samaritan is the one who becomes the hero in this story. Now think about this for a second. The Samaritans, they were living in Samaria, but they were also following much of the Jewish law. Okay? They weren't considered full Jews, but they were also following the law. So this Samaritan is also having to make this decision of risking his own defilement if this is a Gentile. So there's a cost. This Samaritan, he risks being unclean. And here's, also think on this. This road, we're given the details. We know what road this was. We're not given the details on who the man was, but we're given the details on what this road was. It was the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. This road was known as the way of blood. It was known for having uh, robbers and, and terrible things happen along the road. It was a risky road to begin with. But this road resides entirely in Judea. You can go look on a map. This road does not go into Samaria. So this Samaritan, this unlikely hero, he is not in his own neighborhood. He is out of his neighborhood. He is in, he is in Judea. And so he is he's not on his own turf. But now he takes the risk. Now he pays the cost of of what might happen to him if he helps this man. Could there be other robbers waiting to rob me? Could I become undefiled, or could I become unclean by touching this body? There is a great risk for the Samaritan to help this man. And so, again, as Martin Luther King says of this parable, the Samaritan doesn't ask the question. If I stop, what will happen to me? But rather, he asks, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? I think it's a very good summary of, of the, the questions that are going on in these characters' minds as they look at this man who's been attacked. And so, surely this is a great story, right? It's, it's an amazing moral story of this Samaritan hero. And, and, and we, can, we can look at it as that, and we can gain much from it as that. But I want to go back to that, that earlier question I said of this context of, of who is Jesus talking to when he says this, this story? Is this only just a good moral story, or is it something more? So... Let's—we're going to talk very briefly about parables. Why did Jesus speak in parables? How many of you guys, when we, when we read this passage, were thinking, w- why did Jesus respond in a parable to the guy's question? He kind of just, like, avoided giving a straight answer, right? And he told a parable. How many of you guys are like, why does Jesus do that sometimes in the Scripture? Well, the disciples asked Jesus this question because they wanted to know, Jesus, why do you speak in parables? You know? They noticed that he was always doing this. And So firstly, I want to say that Jesus spoke in parables to to evoke some kind of true seeing and hearing and understanding. Matthew 13, 13 says, this is Christ speaking, answering his disciples. He says, This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. There's a... There's a desire to get a message through that isn't getting through in other ways. And so a parable at times can be a a vehicle for getting a point across. Secondly, Jesus spoke in parables to set up an unexpected turn in the story. An unexpected turn. The unexpected turn in the parable causes the hearer to think about the circumstances of their own life in relation to the story. So parables have points of reference that the hearer can understand. So this, this expert in the law, he's familiar with the road to Jericho. He's familiar with priests, Levites, Samaritans. He knows all the characters. He's familiar with these, these points of reference. And, and as Jesus tells the story, it gets to this place where, where the first guy goes by, the second guy goes by, and the third guy comes. And you can maybe anticipate that there's a hope in the guy's heart as to, maybe I'll be justified through this third character. Finally, after these first two blew it. And he's waiting for that justification still when that third character comes. But now the third character is a Samaritan. The least likely person. The the person that he, he least wanted to be that hero. And so it's this unexpected turn. The best way that we can understand this concept from parables is thinking about a joke okay? I'm sorry I don't have any great jokes to tell. But when you hear a joke, what is it that makes you laugh? It's that punchline, right? It's the punchline. It's the delivery of this content and information that then causes a response in you because it catches you. It's humorous. You hear it and you, and you respond and you laugh because the punchline. Parables. Have an unexpected turn. They have a punchline. And the punchline of this parable is told to this man, this, this religious leader. And when that Samaritan is is shown to be the hero, can you imagine the punch <laughs> in the gut <laughs> that's caused by this parable? <laughs> Woo! And so we can read this story and think, oh, it's a great story. It's a Unlikely hero, it's like, kind of like a movie. This is great. But this story was told to a man for a purpose, for that punch-in-the-gut moment, (laughs) for that unexpected turn where his heart would be challenged and revealed by that unexpected turn. This is why Jesus spoke in in parables. And thirdly, I already said this, but to elicit a response from the hearer. Parables are not just good stories. They're calling us to action. They're calling the hearer to action. They're calling for a response, to do something about it. And that's exactly how Jesus ends his statement, right? Go and do likewise. Respond to what you have heard, that punch in the gut. Now respond to it, (laughs) right? Go and do likewise. So why did Jesus speak in this parable to this man very quickly? He's an expert in the law. He's a Jewish leader who's desiring to justify himself. He he despises the Samaritan in his own heart. And the Samaritan is the hero of the parable. And now the expert is told to go and do likewise. He's given an example of someone who he despises having a superior morality than he does. Someone he despises obeying that very law that they were speaking of more fully than he does. Can you imagine that call to response in his heart? Uh, N.T. Wright comments on this passage with these words. He says, For him, the lawyer, God is the God of Israel, and neighbors are Jewish neighbors. For Jesus... And Luke, who highlights this theme, Israel's God is the God of grace for the whole world, and a neighbor is anybody in need. Jesus' telling question at the end isn't asking the Samaritan, isn't asking who the Samaritan regarded as his neighbor. He asks instead who turned out to be the neighbor of the half-dead man lying in the road. Underneath this apparently straightforward moral lesson, we find a much sterner challenge. Exactly fitting with the emphasis of Luke's gospel so far. Can you recognize the hated Samaritan as your neighbor? Isn't that powerful? What's going on here? So this lawyer, is, he's seeking to justify himself. But Jesus reveals his heart with this parable. He reveals his heart and he redefines neighbor Jesus uses this parable to challenge the lawyer's box. And, and, he, and he, he blows up the box. <laughs> he gets rid of the box. I wanted to blow up this box this morning, but it's not allowed in here. So he throws the box out, okay? He says, who is my neighbor? You've got this box around that question. Throw that box out and go and do it. <laughs> go and fulfill that law. Without your box, go and do likewise. This is what's happening in this parable. And so we need to ask the question this morning, how do we apply this to our own life? This parable wasn't spoken to you. It was spoken to this, this expert in the law, and it, and it punched him in the gut because of, it was made for him. So I want to ask the question this morning, how would Jesus speak this parable to you? How would Jesus speak this parable to you? The next question, who would Jesus use in his parable to you to cause an unexpected turn in your heart. I asked uh, Daniel Granito if he would help me with something for this message. I don't see him today. Daniel, are you here? He's teaching downstairs. downstairs. Okay, great. Um, But we were talking about this parable and we talked about it in our Bible course we did in the spring and, and we were talking about what's a way to illustrate who is my neighbor. You know, this question. And this question of who would Jesus use in his parable to you that would cause an unexpected turn in your heart. And so Daniel made an illustration. We're going to show it on the screen. I want you just to look at it. Look at this drawing that Daniel made. Who would Jesus use in his parable to you to cause an unexpected turn in your heart? Would it be someone from a different ethnicity? Would it be someone from a different nation? Would it be someone from a different neighborhood? Would it be someone from a different economic standing? Would it be someone from a different generation? Would it be someone from a different religion Who would Jesus use in his story to you to cause that turn in your heart? And that's how we can apply this story today. We can be honest with ourselves. We can ask Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you reveal to me who is that person or people that I don't see as my neighbor, that I—that don't fit inside my box, that, that I have a hard time loving or even thinking about loving them. Let's ask Jesus to reveal that to us. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to, to challenge our hearts with this this morning. What is your definition of neighbor? And, and, and this person, I want you to think of this person. Think of this person or, or people that Jesus would speak in his parable to you. Do you see that person or those people as your neighbor? I believe God wants this morning to, to explode our boxes, to, to cast them to the side, and to call us to love God and love people without some kind of justifying boundary line. That, that we can feel good about if our neighbor is defined in this way, but not in this way. And I think he wants to ask us that question of, do, you, do we see that person, that person that I have a hard time loving, that person that I despise in my heart, do I see them as my neighbor? I think, I believe Jesus wants to speak that parable to us. So ask him today, who is that person that you'd speak in that parable to me. Let's look at that image one more time if you don't mind putting it up. As Daniel and I spoke about this image, we we felt that it's a representation of, of who is our neighbor. And you know, it's not exhaustive, but I think it's 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 showing something and and but I think it's also a picture of the body of Christ. The, the Revelation 7 picture of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. So let's, let's, see that, let's look at this image this morning and think, who is that person that causes the turn in my heart? But let's also look at it and say, Yes, Lord, give us a glimpse of that. Give us a glimpse, as your word says, of every tribe, tongue, and nation. being in your kingdom. I think it's a beautiful picture of, of the body of Christ from all tribes, tongue and people. And so I want to end with the question of, who is your neighbor? And remind us this morning that our neighbors are diverse. (laughs) Ethnically, economically, generationally, different nations and neighborhoods. These are the people that God has called us to love. God has called us to show and tell the gospel of Jesus to all people. God has called us to show and tell the gospel of Jesus to all people. Let me just close this in a word of prayer. Father God, we ask for this revelation this morning by your Spirit. We ask that you would stir our hearts, that you'd speak to our hearts, Lord. Speak that parable to us this morning, Lord Jesus. Show us who are those people that you want us to love all the people that you want us to love. And God, may it not be a burden, but may it be a joy that we may love as we have been loved. God, give us the motivation of seeing all people as made in the image of God and all people as loved by Jesus. That the cross would always bring us back to that place that every person was worth dying for. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for how you're challenging us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Church in the City podcast. For more information about our church or to listen to other messages, visit churchinthecity.us.